Careers are a windy path, right? And they should be. I would encourage all of our listeners to take some side steps to make sure that you're approaching your career with the experiences that you want to have and not the titles you want to have, because the titles will come when you fulfill all those experiences. Welcome to Top Shelf Integrity, where we give you an inside look at how we, the Beam Centauri on-premise team, maintain our best-in-class standards in the alcohol industry. And what makes us the best team in the business, bar none? It's about service at the end of the day. And we're going to show you how we do our thing so you can level up yours. What does top shelf leadership do differently? What does it mean to show up for your customers and your teammates? How do you balance innovation and honoring legacy? It's all here. So grab a glass, pull up a chair, and let's pour one out. Top Shelf Integrity is brought to you by Beam Centauri, Inc., Chicago, Illinois. Remember to always drink responsibly. Well, welcome everybody to the next episode of Top Shelf Integrity, where we'll be talking about careers in the spirits industry and crafting your path. I'm John Horn, the customer VP of hotels and our regional account business here at Beam Suntory. And I'm very happy to be joined by Rachel Harris, the VP of on-premise here at Beam Suntory. Rachel, what are you drinking? Oh, well, you know, I have a nice Jim Beam orange with uh, some club soda. It's actually, uh, since we're here in the the Mart office and we have that amazing highball machine, I just couldn't resist the getting the carbonated soda out of there. So a nice Jim Beam orange highball. That's amazing. I'm actually having the exact same thing because it is so refreshing. Um, bourbon is the name of our game and uh, a little flavor to it with a little club soda is always, always refreshing. Yes. That orange flavor too. It's delicious. Yes, it is. Um, so yeah, as I mentioned, Rachel, we're talking about crafting your path in the spirits industry or how do you build a career? And I guess my first question will be a simple one. Um, what does a career in BevAlk look like? <laughs> I mean, that is a great <laughs> question, right? That's a meaty question to start off with. Um, I mean, a career in AlkBev could look like a lot of different things. Um, there's so many different outlets, whether you're talking about hospitality and you're in the bar and restaurant business yourself as a, as an owner or server or bar back, um, whether you work for a distributor, um, and selling, you know, our beautiful brands to, uh, the hospitality industry or, or even working for a supplier like, like we do, um, in, in the actual production side and in the owners of the brands. So, um, there's a, there's a lot of different places that you can build a career um, in AlkBev. And I think a lot of people pivot, start in hospitality and kind of work their way uh, into a distributor or work their way, you know, into a supplier. Yeah, absolutely. I think what, what a lot of people don't realize is suppliers and beverage alcohol is like many industries that have many different departments, right? So we have finance people, we have operations people, we have marketing people and people that specialize in channels like we do for the on-premise. And um, I think you said it perfectly. This It really is almost mind-bending at how many opportunities there are, not only within the different facets of the three-tier system, but even within an organization itself. So yeah, that was a great, great lead off. Yeah, for sure. And I, I like to say that this, the Alcpev industry finds you. Right. Um, it's not that you go, you grow up and you go through school and you major in AlkBev. So I, I actually, I love telling my story a little bit because I went to, I actually went to school for biology and chemistry. I was pre-med and, um, planned to go to medical school. And 
um, you know, made, made a decision, um, not, not to go, um, as I was a senior and I like to say it was my, my first kind of big career decision, my first midlife crisis at like 22, um, but decided not to go to medical school. And, but as I worked in healthcare, I worked for a nonprofit sector. And, um, so I bartended. And I bartended to make extra money to pay my school. And um, and so I actually started, you know, bartending, running on-premise events, um, you know, got to know a lot of uh, people in the industry at our distributor, at different suppliers. And and, you know, obviously love that hospitality aspect of taking care of people and, um, you know, made my second career decision, which was to leave kind of all of my science and healthcare behind and, and come into this industry full time. So I love to tell that because I, I do think that the, the industry, it finds you um, for all the right reasons. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's an amazing story. And I did meet you as you were making um, that career decision. And I was very impressed with the first time I met you in, in Indianapolis uh, when you said, this is the field that I'm coming from <laughs> as I enter the spirits industry. And then, you know, for me, it wasn't dissimilar, although there was no medical school in my future. I just don't have that capacity. Um, but I did. I studied finance in school and I graduated with a finance degree from St. John's uh, in New York and uh, went to work on Wall Street because that's what you did at the time that I graduated. And Two or so years in, it wasn't for me. It just, you know, it, it just didn't hit the right points of my brain to wake me up in the morning and to get me excited and to make me feel, you know, passionate about what I was doing every day and, and how I was helping better, you know, the industry that I was in. When I decided that the the finance career wasn't going to be the career for me, I ended up working for and, and helping start an agency that worked on experiential on-premise marketing. And from that a digital marketing agency that exclusively worked in the on-premise and, and, and all, you know, until one day you find that it is a real job working for a supplier and that there's a lot of work and energy that goes behind creating and building. And then, you know, having people experience these brands. Um, and I think a lot of people that we come across and that we work with every day have those stories of, of, you know, the industry finding them, which I think is a great way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. I know starting out, it was, you know, bartending and running events and it was um, being a brand ambassador, right? A part-time brand ambassador for companies on the side through third-party agencies. And and then I remember the day when um, when I was approached by um, by a supplier and, and, and Beam Centauri was that supplier um, and had, had, you know, asked me if I'd ever be interested in doing it full-time and doing sales. And, um, and I, th I think the look on my face probably said it all at the time, which was like, wait, I could do this full time. Like I could make a career out of this. Um, yeah, why not? Let's give this a shot and, and see where it goes. You talked a little bit about how there's so many different disciplines in this company, right. Or in this business. Um, and, and, and you were obviously started out in, in finance with, by education. Like how did you find your discipline in this industry and, and how has that expanded throughout your career? Yeah, that's a great question. I go back to the things, as I mentioned a few minutes ago that I get passionate about, right. Somehow, some way throughout my entire career and in whatever industry I was in, the on-premise played a big role in it. It's something that got me excited. I loved being out there in the fields, talking to consumers and customers and just finding out what was on their mind, why they were making the choices they, they were making and, and having that opportunity for those six or seven years here in Chicago to 
started up an experiential marketing agency that primarily focused in the on-premise and had spirit clients and soda clients and everything that was sold in the on-premise were were clients of ours. Um, I discovered that passion for that, that sweet spot of, of when does a consumer make a decision? How do they make that decision? Um, Why do brands become hot? Uh, You know, so, so I gravitated originally when, when I got into this industry in earnest, um, thinking I wanted to be a marketer, you know, seeing that at the time, um, it seemed very simplistic to me and our agency made a living off of bringing new ideas as many agencies do to us today. To us, we made a career and a living and built a, a very substantial and successful agency by challenging those norms, by creating experiences, by doing things that, that were a little bit unexpected when you encountered a spirit brand in the on-premise. So in my mind, with the experience that I had up until that point, I was hyper-focused on no big spirit company knows what they're doing when it comes to marketing. I think I can be an asset coming from the experiences that I've had. Um, So that's where I started. Um, You know, having been an entrepreneur for the 13 previous years before I I joined Beam Suntory, or Allied Demec previously, and then Beam Suntory, um gave me an opportunity to come in as a marketer. So I came in as a trade marketer managing six control states in the central part of the country. I picked up from New York and moved to Detroit, Michigan. Um, but, but one thing that I think makes people very successful in this industry, and I know you have it working with you for as long as we have, um, always curious, always asking questions, always wanting to know what was happening on the other side of what I was responsible for at the time. And it changed as I, as I grew, you know, I, I, what I understood as being a, you know, I thought a, a smart marketer that can bring new ideas to an organization slowly, but surely shifted into seeing other needs in the organization, how we were marketing, who we were marketing, how many people we had that were thinking about that, that layer in between brand marketing and the field, field marketing or trade marketing. So that was the discipline that I went into at first. And and that's one I really, and you know, this, um, really wanted to perfect. It was something that I saw that was, that was necessary. Didn't exist when I first got here. You know, it was a very segmented ran by regions and, and nobody spoke to each other. Um, so that's where I got into it. And that was kind of the career path I went on to for a very long time. Then, you know, I, I, I kind of, De facto, when we purchased a brand that I had something to do with uh, a million years ago, um, became a de facto brand manager of this brand while we were trying to figure out what we were going to do in this space uh, of vodka at the time, figured out that probably wasn't the long-term career path. And then in each subsequent role that I had, it was really more about what discipline don't I have? You know, not thinking about titles, not thinking about you know, where I was or what I was managing or how big territories were. It really was what don't I have in my toolkit that could make me better at what I love to do. Always want to stay close to the on-premise, but that's not always possible. And that brought me into state management. That brought me eventually to where I am today. But to me, it always starts and ends with, you know, what am I passionate about? What is going to teach me the most about what I'm passionate about so I can parlay that into future opportunities? And if I don't get up in the morning with a bunch of ideas in my head of how I am going to tackle the opportunities and the challenges in front of me, then to me, it's never, it's never worth doing. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's quite the career that you have had and the pivots that you've had and the experiences that you've had both prior to Beam as well as here at Beam. I agree with you on on the passion piece and, and the learning piece, right? So I've always approached every role with how is this going to fuel my passion? Uh, because that's what's going to motivate me. How is it going to leverage my strengths um, even more? And then what is my learning objective? What specifically am I trying to get out of this role? And I and you touched on the curiosity. I mean, I, I just told the story about how I, I left a, a healthcare industry and and pivoted over into into Alcbev. And I came with all the curiosity you could imagine. Um, and I also came with knowing that I was I, I never took a business class in in my career. I never had a marketing class. I never had a finance class in my formal education. And so I also came with a little bit of a chip of like, I've got a lot to prove um, in this industry. And and so that allowed me really to focus on just that learning agenda. And what am I, how do I take um, from every role that I have something that's going to build upon my skill set in this particular industry? Um, because I, I, I loved the industry. I loved the element of hospitality, the social nature of it the people in it. And, and so for me, it was, it was approaching it with a curiosity that was going to teach myself this industry as best as I could. So like, as I mentioned, I, I kind of pivoted into that sales role and, and it was hybrid. There was a lot of event management, which was a strength because I had done that on the side for a long time. And then I moved um, into field marketing and I moved into field marketing and we both have a love for field marketing, as you know, <laughs> but I went into field marketing because as I was kind of in the sales role and running events, like I just found myself most passionate about how we executed the promotions, what the events looked like, what the experiential was and the reaction that you saw on consumers faces when you put on an amazing event and, and I wanted to get closer to designing those events. I wanted to learn how those come to flourishing um, and so forth. And so I, I kind of moved from, you know, a more sales role into a field marketing role. I was there for a few years, um, multiple states. So got to learn, you know, I, I actually attribute that first one to a, a lot of learning because I had Illinois, which was, you know, our corporate headquarters. I also had Kentucky, which is where a lot of our production is done in the homesake of bourbon. And then I had Indiana, which was my, my home state. And so it was a really good mix of how do you execute um, across the different markets. You know, I left the field marketing role because I, I now knew how to market within um, a state. And I wanted to learn, you know, how to be at a buyer's desk again with larger scale marketing programs. So raised my hand and moved into a, a national account marketing role from there um, to learn that big customer management. And then from there, I continued to hone in. Um, you know, the next discipline was, okay, great. I Now that I know how to regionally market and I know how to sell and, and market to large customers, I wanted to learn more about brand marketing. As I mentioned, I didn't have a marketing degree. And so I, I moved into the commercial marketing roles to really learn how do you manage those agencies? If I can come up with really great ideas, why am I paying this agency for all these great ideas? And so I wanted to learn more of the brand side of it, um, the traditional brand marketing side of it. And, and that was my bridge there. And then ultimately back to, to field marketing at a broad scale across the U.S. And then what I do today with on-premise, which I started my career in on-premise sales. And it's just amazing to be back leading the country for on-premise. 
Yeah, it really is amazing. You hit on a couple of great things there. But the one thing, and you and I have crossed paths in our careers, at least I think this is the third time uh, working very closely together. But one of the things that we both share is a passion and something that, you know, my team and everybody that comes into contact with me is probably will cover their ears if they're listening to the podcast, (laughs) building scale, right? In every industry across no matter CPG and beyond, the game is to build scale, to make it consistently good at a scalable way that can be efficient and effective. And I think one of the things that is probably the biggest growth spurt that we've seen, or at least I've seen at Beam Suntory is how we used to do a lot of little things disparately around the country with amazing people in roles and having amazing success with them, but never really putting together. That was the draw for me for field marketing is I can travel around the country and eventually North America and figure out, wow, that's an idea that is scalable. It can be made more efficient. It can be more effective. And it is on strategy for whatever brand or whatever marketing that we're trying to do. Um, How do we make that scale? How do we get everyone to believe in it? Right. How do we get everybody to act the same way when by the very nature, most people join this industry because they are creative? Because they have an idea, because they always want to one up what they did before, what somebody else did or take an idea and improve upon it. And to me, when you said the word, you know, scale, it brought back a a rush of great memories of all of the challenges (laughs) and opportunities of trying to get a, a group of very creative, very talented people to do something that someone else came up with the idea which had many ups and downs and, and bumps in the road and a lot of learnings for both of us. My next question for you, for as many successes as we have, we also have some, some roadblocks and some failures. And, and I think both of us know that you can learn as much from successes as you can from failures. Would you be comfortable perhaps sharing a couple of uh, things that you've bumped into in your career that, that you, know, you learned from or set you on a different path or a different pivot uh, that you want to share with the audience? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's a safe space, right? Around here. Yeah. So to any career, there's, there's always challenges that you face and especially challenges in, in your growth ambition. Um, you know, I've been a, clearly I've been a highly ambitious person my entire life and especially in my career. And so I learned, I learned early on that you are your best advocate that the career move that you choose, the path that you choose, it has to be right for you. It has to be the right timing for you and that there's that as much as we do support our people and our coworkers, that nobody is looking out for you more than yourself. And so, um, you know, that that to me has I learned that early with the first role in the industry. I learned the importance of my recaps, the importance of communication, the importance of making sure that I was seen and I was visible and positioning myself to have other career opportunities um, along the way. And I did have one, and I'll tell you a little, a little story um, just about how I had to advocate for myself for a particular role. I mentioned that I had transitioned out of uh, field marketing and had, you know, raised my hand for national accounts marketing. And as I said, I had, you know, mastered local marketing and I wanted to get that experience in front of a, a, a buyer's desk in front of a, a big customer. 
And when I, when that role came open and I was waiting and watching for that role to come open. And when it came open, I raised my hand right away and said, Hey, this is what I want next. I think I'm, I'm ready for this. I want this experience. And I was told originally, no, I was told it's, um, you know, it's, it's not the right time. Are you sure you really want that role? You know, it's not right for you, at least, at least right now. It really made me take a step back to think through like, okay, I had it in my head. Like this was the next role for me and, and I knew why. So it took some conversations around, you know, with upper leadership of this is why I want this role. This is what I want out of this role. Um, the timing actually is right for me. And I would say, you know, it was a valuable lesson uh, because I had to prepare to have that conversation with somebody who was multiple levels above me to explain why it was right for me. And I knew I had to advocate for myself because I knew it was right for me. And I learned in that too, that I was the one who was in, in control of my career. And as I took a step back and I like reflected, you know, after everything kind of settled and I, and I did get that role by the way. <laughs> um, but after everything settled, you know, there was a lot of change around me and there was a, there was a lot of change in who I was working for. I was very seasoned, you know, in the field marketing role that I was in and the people around me were looking out, were definitely looking out for the business and they were looking out for, you know, for the team and they were looking out for the continuity that they wanted to have within the department. I say that because I, I'm actually thankful to have that experience because I learned it very early on how important it is to advocate for yourself and how to do that in a constructive way and how to apply those have definitely applied that lesson and, and those tools um, you know, throughout the rest of my transitions I've had here. Yeah. I mean, again, I spending time with you is one of my favorite things in the world because you and I have a relationship for so long that you'll say something that is probably buried somewhere deep in the back of my head that, that brings it out. And, and, you know, advocating for yourself could not be more important. You know, some of us, and I was guilty of it of a very long time in my head, I knew the roles I wanted to have in my head. I knew what more experience and what I can take on. And I built this whole story narrative in my own mind. And every time I didn't get a role or every time somebody didn't miraculously come up to me and say, you would be perfect for this. You know, I started to think that, well, am I doing something wrong or why aren't I being offered these things? And, and something that I learned and I learned it later coming from an entrepreneurial world and joining, not getting into this industry till I was in my mid thirties. Um, I didn't have those disciplines of working for a company straight out of college, learning how to advocate for yourself. And I, I just remember times, um, and you'll laugh at some of these, you know, to me, I couldn't articulate it in my head of why I wasn't getting other opportunities when I thought I was as good or better than somebody that was getting those same opportunities um, until I vocalized it, until I had a, a safe space or or a leadership, you know, building the right relationships with leadership and saying, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not going to be the CEO tomorrow, but I really think I would be good for some of these roles that, I, and, and I think the thing that was the biggest eye opener to me is why are you vocalizing this as kind of an afterthought? Why not me? As opposed to having this discussion twice a year when we meet to talk about your performance and when we talk about, you know, how we're calibrating teams and what opportunities and, and that was an eye opener. And again, it was later in life. That struck a chord when you said, um, you know, advocating for yourself is probably first and foremost, because if you're not having the conversations, my partner says this to me all the time. She says, I'm not a mind reader. 
right? I can't read your mind. And if it's something as small as us not agreeing on what to have for dinner or something big when, you know, work comes and affects home and I should just be more open about that conversation, um, but advocating for yourself um, and, and having enough humbleness to know when you've done. And again, I, I won't go too far into this story because I think you just gave some, some really good examples, but being humble enough to say, I should have done this earlier. You know, I probably should have gotten closer to becoming uh, more commercially minded earlier in my career, but it didn't ever come to me because that's not what I was doing. I saw the promised land as being the best marketer this company and this industry has ever seen. So taking that sidestep, right? Taking that, you know, from senior manager, director, senior director roles and saying, and finally having the, the gumption to raise my hand when an opportunity came, like being the state manager of New York. And, and, you know, probably at a left field to the leadership at the time when I said, who's going to get that role? You know, that's my home state. That's where I was born and raised. I have a passion for this industry. I learned a lot over the past seven or eight years. I also want to go home for a little while. You know, we had been away from New York, uh, Kathleen and I for about 12 years and, you know, she was getting the itch more than I was, but you know, family, friends, relationships, hometown. But making that decision, which was probably some of the toughest lessons that I'd learned in this industry, was, was something that was necessary. And I don't think I would be where I am today and the opportunities I have without taking that step to most people intuitively in a career is, you know, you're senior director of North America and you want to go become a state manager. You want to be a manager again. And it wasn't about that for me. And I think a lot of people lose this when they chase titles or when they chase a dream that that probably isn't as, as, as sexy or real when, when they get close to it. It wasn't about the title. It was about, I thought I can accomplish something special in a market that's extremely important that I had a great passion for. And I knew I was going to give it my all every day as if it was my own business, which a lot of us treat every role that we're in. So it was nothing about title or how I was being viewed or how peers were going to look at me. To me, it was, I don't have this skill set. I have a passion to want to make it better. If you combine those two things, it's an opportunity for success. You know, it's a recipe for success, even though, and we can get into this further down the podcast, huge learning curve and huge failures before I felt like I even had my feet underneath me. Yeah. You touch on a couple of things. I mean, one, careers are a windy path, right? And they should be. And I would, I would encourage all of our listeners um, to take some sidesteps to make sure that you're approaching your career with the experiences that you want to have and not the titles you want to have. Um, because the titles will come when you fulfill all those experiences. And there are more jobs in, in every company at the manager level than there, there are at any other titled level. So don't, don't rush out of being a manager. And it's okay to be a manager in, in several different disciplines. Um, because kind of those side steps at that point in your career will ultimately make the steps later in your career more hierarchical and more direct. It's amazing to hear you talk about kind of that step, kind of from field marketing to, to the state manager role to, to gain that experience and recognizing that that was important to you and that was important to your career. You know, there's, there's other ways, other reasons that we take side steps too. And, you know, one example is, um, I was at a director level, but I was a, a director over our, what was called the mixable team at the time. 
in uh, commercial marketing. And it was a point in my, my career where, you know, I, w- I was asking kind of what was next and I was at, and I, I wanted to come back and take over field marketing. And at the same time, I uh, was starting my family and I had had my, my first baby and with my husband and we were talking about maybe having a second. And so I actually, there was, I was on the mixables, which was the kind of smaller of the director positions and the director over all of whiskey um, came available. You know, I was first approached about it to see if I had interest. And I was like, no, no, I'm, I think I've learned, you know, everything I need to know from kind of commercial marketing. And, you know, I've, I'm, I've done this mixable role now. And, and I think my next move is going to be out of the department. And then time kind of went on and I thought about it, you know, for another week and then another week. And, and ultimately I, I think it was almost a month later where I raised my hand and I was like, you know what, actually I want that, that director position over whiskeys. And, and what, although it was lateral, it was lateral in, in title. Um, and it was lateral in the same department. It was a different business. So that refreshed, refreshed my, my passions. It was a bigger team. It was global in scale. Um, in terms of the relationships that I had to build and kind of work across our business. And you know what, for me, and I'll bring it back to kind of that personal aspect, it allowed me to have a a second child um, because I could step into this role and I knew the fundamentals of the role. It was just a larger scale. And in doing that, I knew that I could then, you know, personally and comfortably for my, my own you know, ambition, um, you know, have, have a second child and, and still grow my career in a lateral way. Um, so it's just another, another example and, and, and not a different function, but even lateral within the same function can give you a new experience. Absolutely. I think one of the most important things and and often overlooked, I mean, both of us manage it, you know, a decent amount of people. And I think as as you manage people, there's different types of people. There's people that set their eyes on time in role, right? I'm not going to be in this role two years from now. You know, if there's not a good rationale, if there's not a good learning, if you don't know what your next role or set of roles could possibly be, that's a dangerous mindset to have. There's folks that are, we talked about it a few times, um, title chasers, right? I'm going to be a director or I'm going to be a vice president by the age of X without the backup or plan, I guess, um, that could be a dangerous position to be in. So, so I know we're, we're similar in our coaching of teams in, in the fact that find that passion, find what's going to get you up in the morning, find out the things that you don't know, ask somebody that you trust the things you don't know, you don't know. And it will make it easier to manage a career. Um, cause you never want to have your career managed for you, right? There's, there's the danger of becoming a pro in place and Nobody else can do this job, so you can't go anywhere, right? You have the hammer for that nail. You can't go anywhere else. Um, otherwise, we can't ever get that nail in the ground again. So I think that the coaching always and the advice, if anybody is, is listening, is you got to find your passion. You got to want to learn. You got to be super curious every day of your life. When you reach a level of success, right, that you've achieved, that, that I've achieved, that a lot of our, our peers have achieved, and you kind of made it to you know, probably beyond where you originally even set your sights to because you didn't know what those sites were or these roles didn't exist, right? When we were coming up through our career at Beam Suntory, how do you stay motivated, right? How do you keep that train going? How do you, you know, you, you get to a level where many in an organization would be like, wow, 
but there's only one, right? Yeah. And there's 400 of us out there. Um, what, what, what types of things, what do you look at? What do you lean into to keep motivated, to keep learning, to not become that expert that now knows all of the information and, and there's, there's nothing else to learn. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it goes back to, I always have an objective when I take a role. I think long and hard about what role I'm going to pursue and, and what do I want out of that role? And, you know, that, that kind of comes with the, the vision piece, right? Um, the vision of what you want. And it, and it doesn't mean that you have to have a, a goal for that particular job, but it does mean that you're very clear on what it is you, you want to learn, what you're going to get out of it. And how do you know when you're done, right? Like when you've achieved that for, for yourself, as we've already talked, you know, I've, I've, I've always approached stuff, approached every role as a constant learner, right? There's so much to learn. And as I rose in the, in the ranks, I mean, the options have been endless, right? There's ways that you can lean into different areas in, in a particular job, um, to drive passion, um, and to also have new experiences while still being in the same job. You know, there'll be a lot of forks in the road, right? There's a lot of opportunities that will come your way. Some planned, some unplanned timing plays a role in, you know, is, is this the right timing for me? Is it not? Um, and you have to think about what's really most important for you. Back to your question of like, what continues to motivate every role that I've picked um, or, or raised my hand or pursued has had an element of a strength of mine that I know that I can leverage and continue to grow and build that strength. And it's had an element of mystique, an element of, um, I know that's not a strength, but I know that I'm super curious and I know that I can learn it and I know that I can impact change with it and with that knowledge. And so, you know, for me, it's just finding that balance of both, because if you, if you choose a role that doesn't have enough of your passion points in it, it you'll, you'll get to be motivated. And you'll get demotivated when, when times get, you know, when times get tough or when, when you have to wind up focusing more and more of your attention on newer things or or things that you're not motivated by. So I I think it's a, it's a continuum um, that, you know, we're always on as people and um, just knowing, knowing what drives you and motivates you and knowing how to lean into that. Yeah. No, that, that's a great answer. It, it goes back to a lot of the points we've made already, you know, knowing what you want, knowing what you don't have that you want. You know, I've, I've always judged a new role where if I'm not a little scared, if I'm not a little nervous, if I don't feel like I'm in a little bit under the water a little bit or in over my head, um, I probably didn't make the right choice. I probably didn't make the challenging choice. I probably didn't make something that's going to expand who I am, what I can offer to make those around me better and make the organization better. For me, it's also knowing what to not listen to. Right. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've talked about a lot of the positives of, of how you manage your career. I think one of the career killer conversations, and I think we've both been through this um, throughout our careers is you also have to know what not to pay attention to. If I ever have gone into a role and I come in with the John energy and the John ideas and the stupid questions about things that people figured out 20 years ago, but I think it's a new idea and I want to take another slice at it. The person that has said to me, listen, this is the way we do things, right? This is the way we've always done it. This is the way we're always going to do it. Love your passion, love your energy. Just do it the way we say we're going to do it. 
almost immediately, that's a person that I try to find a way to turn off. Have to work with folks, can't be in love with everybody you work with, but if there's that, that energy, that, that, that negative dynamic or that negative energy or the, the squashing of new ideas, um, again, when I, when I got, I thought I knew what it was to be a state manager because I worked with so many of them. I worked with 50 of them. And I thought, well, yeah, I, I, I can do that. And I didn't know what I didn't know about the ins and outs of the everyday managing of a market and especially the distributor dynamic where you're not the fun marketing guy flying in to give them a bunch of money and ideas and programs that's going to help them make their number. You're the person that's going to be on them every single day and, and, and work with them and try to find solutions that are going to benefit the both of you. There's, there's certain roles that you love that you're in, that you want to stay in that you don't want change for whatever reason you've grown and you find ways to challenge yourself within the role. And it always set me apart when I was managing Metro New York, there were reps that were there for a very long time, could kill a sale, could go in there, know what switches to pull, know what levers to, 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 to lever and, and make a sale. So if you needed a number, you knew who to go to. And then there were the, the reps that, I was always impressed with and I would try to spend more time with is the ones that they don't want to perfect the pitch, right? They don't want to perfect the sale. They wanted to become a business partner with their accounts instead of treating them like a transactional binary account. Those are the persons that I learned the most from. Those are the persons that I gravitated towards. Those were the, everyone has a good relationship. Everybody can ask for a favor if you have a good relationship, but I gravitated towards somebody that loved what they did every day didn't have an aspiration to become their manager and was vocal about it. I don't want to manage six of me. I'm a handful. I don't think I would be <laughs> successful doing that. But within the role that they're in, because there's not an endless supply of promotions, right? There's not an endless supply of new titles. But even within a role that you figure out, this is the one for me, right? This is what I'm going to stay in. There's ways to challenge and learn and better and make it better for others and become a, a teacher, of your peers, um, teach your manager something new by trying to perfect it because of that curiosity, because of that passion, because you know that a new idea is probably worth trying versus getting shot down to my point a few minutes ago of here's how you sail. It's what killed me when I worked on wall street because there was a pitch book. It's like every movie you've ever seen. There was a binder they handed you on day one and you said these words. And if you didn't say them exactly as they were written, somebody would talk to you. And if you didn't counter with the tabs number seven, if they said this excuse versus that excuse as to why they weren't going to buy today, somebody would come over and talk to you. It was formulaic. It was, this is proven. This is the way we do things. And I think that my favorite part about this industry, and there's many things to be, to be enviable about being in, in the, in the beverage alcohol space is that at least I haven't come across something that I couldn't overcome with an idea, with a positive energy, with, with something, you know, that, that was, that I felt was offering more to the conversation than the one I walked into. Um, and to me, that's what gets me excited every day. I like to say, I don't know if I've ever had the same day twice. I've had similar days, but in 16 years in this company, I probably haven't had the exact same day twice because if you believe that for yourself, uh, coming up with new ideas, being passionate, always challenging yourself, always learning, being a student. Your team can teach you as much as any leader or mentor ever could. If you're, if you're in that mode constantly, then it's not a J 
job. It's not, it's not something that here's form A, it goes to form B. It, it, there's certain roles, even with the, this industry, that that's your day. But I think we gravitate more towards that constant learning, that gravitating towards people that have that energy. The, I told my, my team laughed at me the other day on our, on our team call where I said, we want to be the team. When people see your name pop up on their phone, they grab it. They don't turn it over. They don't hit end. Right. Yeah. We want to be that team, whether it's a customer, whether it's a cross-functional partner. I mean, that's the excitement. And, and, and it feels silly sometimes to still have that excitement like a child. But to me, that curiosity, that learning, that excitement, it doesn't make a difference if you're the CEO or if you're the brand new rep. That's the, the thing that keeps you motivated within a career. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the entrepreneurial spirit here at Beam Centauri is just phenomenal. I think that's why we're all attracted to it, for sure. <laughs> um, but you're 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 spot on. You draw energy from so many different places, and I do have to say that in as I built my career and in each of my roles, it also taught me what I didn't want to do, right? And and we've been talking about the positive side of leaning into your passion, but you equally learn. Like, okay, yep. I understand that and I understand how that works and I could do that, but that doesn't drive passion for me or, you know, that that's not something that I would want to be the biggest piece of my job, my, my day job. And so, um, I would just encourage everybody as well that, that you think about that because as much as you're building a career path for what it is you want to do or what your vision is of, of your career that, you know, and where you want to land and the experiences you want to have, you will also pick up along the way, the things that you don't want to do. Very true. Uh, and, and one of the things that I learned later than I should have in life, but I, I use as a coaching tool with my team is when we have career discussions and they say, here's what I want to do next. I'm like, that's fantastic. But what's after that? What's the two step? What's the three step? Are you thinking that far ahead so you can work backwards to build the right career skills to fill up the toolbox in the right way? Um, because again, this is a very dynamic industry. The roles that both of us have didn't exist when we started with this organization. Um, that's encouraging to a lot of folks. A lot of folks that will be listening to this podcast, those roles didn't exist when we joined this organization, and, and they're the beneficiaries. And I think you've done an absolutely amazing job in, in, in a company that had to learn its way towards caring about the on-premise as much as we do and, and investing uh, time, energy, effort, human beings into the on-premises that career pathing, right? If, if you joined Beam Suntory 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 16 years ago, and you said, I want to make a career in the on-premise, you get laughed out of the building because you work in on-premise to get that experience, to know how different it is from off, but all the cases come from off. So get back there as fast as you can, if you've got talent, um, which is enviable if that's what gets you up in the morning and, and that's what you want to do and you want to sell at that scale and you want to have those big conversations with big, small and medium customers. But you investing the time, effort, and energy over the past handful of years to actually build career pathing within the on-premise has made us attract better talent with better aspirations. And I think just in general, when you put that many talented folks together, just makes it a better effort overall. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we want to be able to build an on-premise career here and, and you're exactly right. We've, we've done a lot of work um, over the last couple of years to make that 
happen and to have the specialties and to have the different experiences across the team. And, um, it's, it's so incredibly important. And it's, it's interesting because when, when I first talked about moving into this particular role of leading the on-premise for the country and I reflected on the career that I had and cause this role didn't exist, right. It wasn't something that I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to go for that role. It, it didn't exist. But when I reflected on my experiences of starting an on-premise and doing field marketing and doing on-premise marketing for big customers and learning brand marketing and, and peppering, peppering in obviously the, the sales of being in between sales and marketing, I kind of was like, actually, this is like the perfect next step. And so you'd never know when that's going to happen, right? You never know when, when an opportunity will present itself or things will, you know, things will evolve because change is definitely constant. I want to touch on one thing and you mentioned it um, and you had said, you know, if I'm not nervous or scared about a role, then I know I'm not learning. And I just want to reiterate that because I will tell you that I use that every, every day. I use that in how I look at my particular role that I'm in, how I look at our business, how we, how I look at what's next for me too. And, and I'll even say, we're sitting here talking on a podcast called Top Shelf Integrity, which by the way is amazing. But this was another idea where it was like, you know what? We should launch a podcast. And not going to lie, definitely scared me. Um, but it has been phenomenal. And it has, I have had so much passion for this podcast and for these conversations. And I just think it's another perfect example of like, you know what? If it scares you, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. It means it's pushing you out of your comfort zone. And it means when you're out of your comfort zone and you're not steady, you're learning. Absolutely. The mind is a funny thing that way, where if it's not getting challenged, you know, it's, it's you know, people profess workout, change up your workout. It'll work different parts of the muscles. It'll shock the muscles. The brain is the largest, well, one of the, like the heart's the largest muscle, but the brain's got to be a pretty big organ. That's one that you need to challenge and refresh. And that uncomfortableness, that not knowing, that not being afraid to say, I'm not knowing is, is what builds a lot of careers again in an industry where you can be way more dynamic. There's more linear paths that people can take when they make career decisions. When you choose beverage alcohol and you choose to be in the commercial or marketing side of it, when you choose the on-premise, that little bit of fear drives the learning agenda that you have. And sometimes you don't even know when you're learning. Um, every conversation's a learning experience. Every interaction is a learning experience. And, and, and I don't know if enough people appreciate the fact that you can learn from every single conversation you have, good, bad, or indifferent every day, because it's not all, you know, puppies and rose petals and, and, and jelly beans every day. You know, you have to have tough conversations with customers, with internal partners um, coming out of a pandemic. There's very interesting dynamics and challenges we never would have thought of, but they lead themselves to great opportunities. So I think you're 100% right where, I, you know, I, I like to be challenged. If I wake up one day and say, I know everything there is to know about this, then it's time to to figure out the next step. Um, if there's nothing more I can do within the role that I'm in. Yeah. Agreed. I think, it, and we can, I think wrap up our conversation. I would leave our listeners with, with a few questions to ask yourself, right? We've talked about all of them. How does this fuel my passion? How does this leverage my strengths? Am I scared? And what is my learning objective? And will I know when I am done? And I would just encourage you to um, make sure that you get everything out of a role before you decide to move on, because there's 
there's ways to learn in roles and, and how you lean into different areas of that role. Um, so make sure you get everything out of it uh, before you move on. Absolutely. And again, as Rachel said earlier, and then I, I built on, don't you also need to be vocal. Having a conversation with yourself or with your partner at home or with your, your friends at the bar, those are all fine and good. And you got to exercise those muscles to find the right way to, to vocalize things. But if you're not having active career conversations with, with, with your leader, some of your peers, I think you're doing it a dis, disservice um, or an injustice of, of never being able to vocalize what you want in your career, which will only slow down the growth opportunities even further. Uh, I'd love to offer a toast to that. Uh, definitely. All, all for you. All right. So I would say I'm going to offer a little cheers to advocating for yourself and crafting your path in the alcohol beverage industry. Thank you for the conversation, Rachel. See you too. Cheers. Cheers. Top Shelf Integrity is brought to you by Beam Centauri, Inc., Chicago, Illinois. Remember to always drink responsibly.